Welcome, everybody. This is the IMD Founder Series podcast. My name is Ian Charles Stewart. I'm the co-founder of Wired Magazine, and I'm now an executive residence here at IMD, which was my business school where I did my MBA 30-something years ago. This week, I'm joined by Skylar Weiss, who's the founder and CEO of the Swiss hybrid bank, Alpian. He's also an IMD MBA, so we have an IMD MBA interviewing an IMD MBA. He was here in 2017. I graduated in 1988, so a little bit ahead of him. We're going to talk a little bit about what he's been doing since the MBA and what Alpian's all about. Our audience for this series is essentially IMD alumni and others interested in what it takes to build new businesses, both the people and processes we have to put in place and the issues and challenges that, that people face. Now, we tend to focus on, naturally, given my background, companies that are disrupting existing industries and forging new business models, but not necessarily. Right? Sometimes it's just interesting because it's a, a new model without technology. It's not digitally based. But in this case, Alpian's doing both. So it's, it's, a fun, it's fun to get him on board. And we're really happy that he was able to take time, Scott was able to take time out of his day, sneak into one of his bespoke studio offices they have down in Geneva to come talk to us. Skylar, welcome back to IMD. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I want to thank you for this opportunity to, to get the chance to have this session with you. It's not every day that you get to, to speak with and meet with somebody who basically created an industry. Right? And this is something that uh, I consider, you know, I'm very fortunate to have this opportunity. And hopefully with Alpine, we can drive the same kind of change, right? Same kind of progress within a different industry, but also relevant in terms of the progression of the world. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. I have to say that one of the reasons we got involved in Wired in the first place was the degree to which the world was changing around us. We were discussing the impact of technology upon all sorts of different things to do with our actual lives. It wasn't a magazine about technology. It was a magazine about how technology was going to change the world. And that's still happening. And we're now at a sort of second or third layer of innovations, which are genuinely changing how we interact with many aspects of our lives. And I think you guys are part of that, which is cool. So why don't we start off with just a little bit of background so people understand what your reference points were. What did you do before the MBA in 2017? And how did you go from there to being CEO of a startup bank? Yeah, so I, I'm a dual U.S. and Swiss citizen. Uh, I was born in the United States, but you know, came to Switzerland in 2017 to pursue my MBA at IMD. I started my career at uh, IBM as a consultant, and then uh, I joined Morgan Stanley in New York as a, as a vice president, or I was promoted to be a vice president. And there, basically, I worked on many different things for the senior management of Morgan Stanley, did a lot of different uh, crisis management, process improvement, tech uh, tech work, anything that the senior management needed, I worked on it. And so I got a breadth of knowledge there that I was able to bring into my MBA. And at IMD, you get a huge experience, a huge international experience, which then broadened my horizons and, and really helped me take the role I have now at Alpian. Very good. So the IMD course starts in January of each calendar year and then finishes in December. Did you go straight into work? Um, a lot of people take time off before they go on. But you went straight into which bank at the time? Which firm did you go into? Yeah, so I joined Rail after IMD. And so Rail is the bank. It's a, it's a private bank here in Geneva that founded Alpine. So Alpine was founded within Rail. And I was the chief digital officer of Rail. And so the partners of Rail, they were very, their initiative was to create a digital bank. And, uh, and they needed somebody to drive that. And I was lucky enough to join the company at that time, drive the initiative within Rail. And then we've since spun out of Rail, but we now each have our own independent banking licenses. Right. So that's important because getting a banking license in Switzerland is no small thing. And then just to round out the structural issues, there was another transaction that took place over Rail, right? 
So Fidurum and Tesa San Paolo. So in Tesa San Paolo is the largest bank in Italy and they invested into rail and now they own a majority of rail. And during their due diligence of rail, they found Alpian, right? And they said, this is an amazing initiative. And so in addition to acquiring a majority stake in rail, they actually invested into Alpian and we've become a big part of their, their strategy. And so in Tesa San Paolo, for those of you who don't know, is one of the, between the fourth and fifth largest bank in Europe, right? It's a very large company, very large bank, very well-respected bank. And, you know, we have the support of a Swiss private bank, as well as a, a international global player on the banking market. Great. And just so that we round out, you are CEO of a startup, but you're a startup where a lot of the weight behind the startup, which I guess gives security to your customers, comes from large banks that exist. But you do have your own separate banking license and you're managed separately? This is really important, this question, is because you know, when you're creating a bank, it's not like you're creating another startup. The kind of implications that you have as a bank are not the same as a, just a, a tech startup, right? You are managing people's wealth, you're managing people's money. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And so when you start a bank, there are certain requirements that you have to have in place, certain knowledge, certain experience, certain capital. And coming from a bank, it puts you in a much, from existing players, it puts you in a much better position to succeed as a new bank than it's if you were to just start by yourself from scratch out of a garage. And so, again, it's not that I don't respect other startups. It's that I think banking, you know, you have to have a different approach than you would with a, a traditional startup. Right. And when you and I first talked, I, I, we both used the word trust. In the end, you don't give your money to people you don't trust. And that's the core of what's necessary for a new firm. OK, so why don't we describe Alpian? So it, it's clear what it is and what it isn't. And also, it's quite exciting because you're actually doing a formal public launch. You, you have customers now, and I know that you run your own banking on your own system. But the formal public launch is very, very soon. So why don't you describe what Alpian is and what it is not? Yeah, so Alpine is a digital private bank, right? So what, what does that mean? The way I think about it is most people in the world, right, 99% of people, their only experience is with a retail bank and uh, very, very few people get the services of a private bank. And today it has always been derived by how much money you have, right? So if you have enough money, you can go to a private bank. If you don't, then you have to go to a retail bank. And the reason that that is, is because private banks, they provide a lot of service, a lot of very hands-on manual personal service. And it's not cost-effective for them to serve a wide array of people. They can only serve very few people. And in order for the numbers to make sense, they have to serve very wealthy people. Because if they serve you know, lower wealth segments, they can't make enough money to cover their costs. And so today, private banks exist. They, they cover the 1%. And most people see retail. And the idea of Alpian is to offer a digital private bank, which brings private banking services to a portion of that affluent segment. When we started Alpian, we said, who do we want to cater to? Who is our target segment? And it's not, we're not looking to serve the retail segment, which is where basically how I define retail is you do it yourself, right? You partner with a bank and then they give you tools, but you have to do it yourself. And a private bank, this is where the bank is there to help you, to guide you through the banking process, the wealth generation process, and any other issues that you can expect from a bank. And so basically Alpian is built 
to bring private banking services to a broader segment, not to everybody, but to a broader segment of the population. What's your segment? How, how are you describing them? What's their wealth level? What's their interest? What type of people are we talking about? Yeah, again, so we're, we're razor focused. We have interest from all different types of wealth segments. I think our main focus is between 100,000 and a million at the moment. But this is something where we've received interest from people of extreme wealth, really extreme wealth, and people who are just looking for help, right, but don't have the wealth. But again, you know, one of the limitations is that with technology, we're able to get around some of the limitations that traditional private banks have in being able to serve people. But still, if you're trying to provide a personal touch, a human touch, which we do, Alpian does that. So yes, we're a digital private bank, but that does not mean personal. And as long as you're driving a personal relationship and a personal touch, you cannot scale to everybody. And so for, for us, our target segment is the affluent segment. Switzerland or Europe at the moment? Switzerland only at the moment. And this is a question I often get because digital banks, they're able to move quickly abroad, right? Uh, you don't have a physical infrastructure you have to take with you. But my first priority as a Swiss bank is to make sure that people in Switzerland benefit from the services that we've built. Sounds natural, right? That, that as a Swiss bank... We cater to the people of Switzerland. And so, for example, like when you speak with Alpian, when you speak with our private bankers or you converse with our team, you can speak in the different languages of Switzerland. And this is super important because we want to make sure that uh, wherever you live in Switzerland, you know, we're, we're there to help you. And so which, which branch of Switzerland are you using? Did it end up being Balois or Zurich or Bern? They're very different. <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, this is something where there are many different uh, dialects or many different, you know, with Swiss German, we have people from different areas of Switzerland. So it's not uh, one dialect. You know, again, if we're trying to cover every dialect, then it may be a bit, uh, bit tricky. Uh, but I think, yeah. you know, people will forgive us. Uh, there's, I don't think there's any bank that covers all of the dialects. So No. And, and, and the very fact that you are doing Swiss German, Italian, French and English is already good. So you started offering the service to employees earlier this year. You already had people signed up to go live within the system. What have you found surprisingly difficult and what have you found surprisingly easy over the last couple of years? There are two things that I found difficult. People is definitely one of the most tricky topics um, when you're creating a new company. And I think Alpine was created in COVID, right? So this whole you know, flexibility, work from home, you know, nobody had, had done that before. And we basically, as a new company, had to figure out how to do this. And it gave us a lot of benefits, right, in that we could do it however we saw fit. But we needed to, on top of building a bank, we needed to figure out how to actually put in place a functioning kind of work environment that also adheres with the security and requirements of being a secure bank, right? And so that was, that was difficult in terms of the people, I mean, Again, people is always difficult. When you start to ramp up your team, you've got individuals, right? And you, you get more and more individuals and no two people are alike, right? And this is something we value at Alpin. We want to embrace individual uniqueness of, of people, not just internally, but of our clients as well. And when you scale up, one of the challenges that I've found in particular, I've never managed 85 people before, right? This is the first time I'm doing that. And it's it continues to grow, you know, is that you have to be able to have a, a consistent way to do things, but also respect people's individuality, which is not always easy. The second thing that I think is, is difficult is trust, right? Trust is the foundation of banking, right? And a lot of times, 
when you talk to people about Alpian, the response I get is that I've heard that before. And that's what my current bank tells me. And so when you're starting a company, which fundamentally, when, when clients interact with us, when they use our services, I don't want them to hear the difference. I want them to feel the difference, right? to actually feel it. But if, you're, if the perception is that I've heard that before, maybe they don't give the chance to us to actually deliver on the promise of Alpian, right? where we give this personal, exceptional service. And I think you know, we'll probably get into it later, but the differences of Alpian are not just on the tech side. It's the fundamental setup of our company that is different. Right. And what about stuff that was easier than you thought? Or has nothing been easy? It's not that nothing has been easy. I mean, I think one of the best things that we have done, so I think one of the trickiest things is also one of the best, which is the people, right? Once you bring good people in, it attracts other good people, right? right. And that was something that I didn't see in the beginning. I thought it was always going to be really hard to continue to bring in good people. But we found that because of the company we are, when you start to create a, a good company with good people, it proliferates, right? It, it, it rolls on itself. And so we've been able to continue to bring on really, really good people. And so it's not easy to, to, to keep good people, but when you have a good company created by good people, I've been surprised at the, the progression on that. Yeah, getting people on board when you're growing quickly is, is a challenge when you're a, a small firm relatively unknown in the marketplace. But if you do it well, if you, if you hire the first 10, 20 people really, really well, actually a lot takes care of itself thereafter. So I, I encourage people to spend a little bit more time with the first 10 employees, maybe the first 20. And then you can't control that process any longer. You go so fast that there's no time. You just hope that the values you've instilled or the values that you've searched for in your first 20 employees spill over into the next 20 and the next 20. So it's, I think it's the challenge. People always think that raising money is the, um, is the problem when you're building something. I've always found that it's people. Raising money is easy if you've got a good project, frankly. And if you're having trouble raising money, then there's probably a problem with either the project or the team or a problem that's at least perceived by investors that you're not getting across really well. The hard part, once you have the money and, and good projects always get their money, is the people trying to ha find enough good people fast enough to grow at the speed we want to do. Talking about the trust issue, you've got Intesa and Real behind you and you started within the firm. So you've got relationships with them, which is great. So you get support from the people who hired you originally. Now you're separate, but you're still backed by the firm. And I know you're doing a, a fundraise at the moment. So again, capital is not a massive challenge for you. Are you talking much about the relationship between yourselves and the large banks behind you? Are you, you focusing more on we're new and interesting, or are you focusing more on we're large and secure? Because it seems to me there's a tension between those two things. Yeah, it's a difficult uh, balance to walk because, again, it's when you're founded by two, two organizations, which are, I mean, they're important players in their markets, right? And they, they, their names carry weight, but they're business model is just fundamentally different. We've been able to benefit from all the experience and all the, the, the kind of weight that these two players have brought, but we're different, right? And I don't think that that's a bad thing because at the end of the day, you know, Rail could have just said, okay, we, we build a new digital bank internally within Rail and we don't create a separate bank. 
but why you create something different. I mean, the partners of Rail made a conscious decision to create a separate company. And the reason was, is because it's just a different company. You can't have two companies within one, right? That they will ultimately not be able to function together. And so I think we found a, a, a good way forward, which is where, you know, we publicly acknowledge all of the support that we have received from Rail and Fidurum and Tessa San Paolo, but we are our own company and we need to be able to operate independently because our business model is so different. Right? It's, it's a very close partnership. We work very closely with them, but they understand that we're different and they need to give us that freedom to operate differently. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the service that individuals might perceive. You quite rightly said that the business model of the large private banks requires a certain number of ca- amount of capital per individual client to warrant the time that they spend on managing that client providing the services they provide. And yet you've also said that you're not, at least not at the moment, an AI bank. So you've actually got real people providing the services. It's not just algorithms. How do you balance that out? I mean, how are you managing, the studio's help, I know, but how are you managing to provide a level of service that the individuals who become your clients appreciate in a way that doesn't overload your business model and cost you too much? What is it that allows you to deal, to take on the 100,000 to 1 million Whereas most of the private banks have a minimum 5 million target. How is it you're managing to do this and still making it people intensive? That's the secret sauce of Alpin, so I can't reveal it all. But at the end of the day, again, it's a combination of technology and people and the way that we've done things, right? So at the beginning of Alpin, I was fortunate to be given kind of a blank sheet of paper to design things in a new way, right? So we've done things totally differently than how the incumbents have done them. You asked me before what we offer, right? So let me give an example. We offer our clients the ability to invest in our discretionary management mandate, which means that we, we, our investment team at Alpin manages the funds of its clients, right? So if a client puts money in, we manage their funds for them. So that's the hallmark of a private bank, right? At a retail bank, you just invest whatever you want, right? But nobody's going to help you. At Alpin, or a robot will help you, right? At Alpin, our investment team, with the assistance of technology, will invest for you. And so we are able to build a personalized portfolio for our clients where no two clients will be invested the same, but at the same time. So the technology helps us build a personal strategy for you, but then our investment team is able to apply its knowledge of the markets and its predictions on the markets to your personalized portfolio. And so what a normal bank would do is they do it all by Excel or all by hand or whatever, and then uh, you end up having to have 20 people doing it by hand, whereas we leverage the technology that we've built custom for this process to allow us to keep not 20 people doing it by hand. We, we leverage technology for those things, but where we add value is where are the market's going? Do we believe that the markets are going up? And if so, in what areas of the market? And this is where the human provides value, not in the things that the algos should take care of. This may be an unfair question because we're currently in a challenging macro environment, shall we say. If Jeremy Grantham and Ray Dalio would believe, be believed we're heading for a crash to end all crashes, not 40s or 70s, but actually 30s. And it's very hard. I listen to a lot of investor podcasts and I talk to friends of mine who are in the wealth management space and very bright people disagree on where we're going from here, partly because it's political, partly because the actual moves likely in the different marketplaces depend upon the ability and strength of individual politicians to hold to a particular strategy. In the current environment, 
if you have new clients and you do, you're about to launch publicly and what are you telling them? What will you tell them? Because I, yes, I, I accept that each individual's circumstances are slightly different, but every private bank that I've known also has house views. So yes. do you have a house view at the moment on what people should be doing? Yeah, so we do have our own house views. Again, this is super important for Alpian. The, our CIO, Victor Siani, he, I mean, he's he's a brilliant guy, right? Uh, we 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 were fortunate to receive many, many, many applications for that role. But Victor, you know, we picked among hun- hundreds and hundreds of people, right? He's exceptional for for what he does, and he produces the house view with his team for his view on on the market. But again, you know, this is the point of Alpian, right? If you're at a brokerage company where you are buying and selling for yourself, you are on your own, right? And there's public research out there, but what do you trust? Because you do have this up and this down and everybody's got conflicting opinions, but they also have conflicting interests, right? Of why they're saying what they're saying. At Alpian, our only interest is to help our clients with their growth of their wealth. There is no there is no conflicting interest. We have independent product selection. We will never push products to our clients so that we get a kickback. It's just not something we do. And so wouldn't it be great in this uncertain time to have somebody to work with and to talk about it with? And so we have, we have private bankers that we've brought on from the, the big private banks across Switzerland, and we've indoctrinated them into the Alpian way to make sure that they're guiding the client to the best of their ability, right? To the client's best satisfaction, not to the banks. And so in this moment of uncertainty, this is what Alpian exists to do. Whether you are in a moment of complete terror or you're in your happiest moment, you always need guidance. And this is what Alpian does. So I don't wish for a recession, but if there is a recession, a lot of people will need help to know what is the best course of action, right? And this is what Alpine provides. We mentioned earlier that there are other people doing working in the space. The Challenger Bank area has grown dramatically over the last 10 years. Whether it's Nuri or N26 or Monzo or, or Revolut, there's a, there's a bunch of other digital financial services firms pitching slightly differently in, in different chunks of the marketplace and different jurisdictions within Europe. What would you say defines you relative to the others? What is it that you think makes you clearly different to the others so that your customers can make a choice between the options? If you look at the market, there have always traditionally been two two segments of banking, always, right? You have your, your retail banking and your private banking, and that's it. And retail banking is you do it yourself. We give you the tools, you do it yourself. Right? So all of these digital players, they give you the tools to do it. Right? So if you go to any of the banks you mentioned, they're not going to help you. They will say, here are the tools, go figure it out. Right. And maybe they give you research or whatever, but their objectives are different than our objectives. Their objectives are get the most number of clients we can. Their objectives are try and facilitate as many card transactions as possible. That's really their objectives, where our objective is to help our clients with their growth, with their objectives, with their objectives, not our objectives. And so it's a different part of the market. So you have private banking, you have retail, and we fit in between, right? We fit right in between. And so I think this is one of our challenges is to educate people on exactly the difference between Alpian and the others. So right. where retail banks, retail digital banks, you do it yourself, Alpian will help you, right? So this studio I'm sitting in, you can have private calls with our Swiss private bankers who will help you with whatever you want to discuss. 
And this you won't get at the other digital private banks, or at the other digital banks. Okay, very clear. Thank you. So the difference is the advisory, even if transaction is similar across different firms. And then, of course, again, it's the, it's the notion that it's um, Swiss and independent. And I, I think we discussed at one point, um, <clears throat> because you've worked inside and seen what private banks are like, and I'm obviously a client of different firms, transaction churn is obviously something that clients don't like. And there are other aspects to the way firms are managed, even on the private banking side, that make clients like me unhappy with their services. You've talked about values and principles in relationship to the services you provide. Do you offer crypto as an asset class to your clients? Will you? We offer exposure to crypto, but not direct holdings. And again, I think you know it comes back to another major, major difference from Alpian to the others is that Alpian starts as a Swiss bank, right? Fully licensed Swiss bank, right? Uh, like UBS, like Credit Suisse, whereas most others, they started as a fintech or a tech company, right? And there is a huge difference in the mindset of a bank that starts as a bank and a fintech that starts as a tech company. Now, again, technology is exceptionally important for Alpian, right? Most banks treat technology as a cost center. We would never do that. But what is very important is that we respect what it means to be a bank and that trust that we need to build, it is core to who we are. This is a major, major, major difference for us. So I, I just want to reiterate that as well. It seems to me that, that going forward, the lines blur and are already blurring between what used to be different sectors within financial services. You have banking, trading, private wealth management, and then managing your own personal finances. And then there are um, wrinkles in amongst all these things. Are we all going to be on apps? Is everything based on single apps going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that that depends on, you know, and I'm sure Wired probably put some pieces out on this, is where's the future of, of the internet? Where's the future? Because the internet is just connection to, to, to information. That's all yeah. it is. Right? And how you consume that information today is primarily by a phone or a computer. But in the future, who knows where it is, right? I mean, people are talking about the metaverse, right? Maybe it's not your phone. Maybe it's just in the metaverse where you're meeting with your banker, right? Or you're, you're, you're going to your bank. That's going to depend on things that Alpine is not driving, right? We're not driving whether the metaverse is picked up or not. But if the metaverse is where people meet in the future, then we will need to adapt our model to accommodate that. So in the next five to 10 years, uh, for sure, mobile phones is where most people will interact with their, their bank. It's not going back to branches, right? The physical infrastructure model is not going back that way. That's for sure, right? And if that's the model you're building, I, I can safely say that's the wrong way to go, right? Uh, but where the future is, right? Our goal is to make sure that the client is, we assist their, the client on their growth, you know, in their life, in their wealth, not to determine where the future of the internet goes. Right. So what do you think is there? So we can't predict the twists and turns of what happens with technology. It's kind of the fun thing out there. But what do you see in the next five years that in, in Alpine's future and in your future? You're starting in Switzerland. I guess the next step is to go elsewhere in Europe and maybe you expand services. What are you planning to do going forward? Expansion of services is key for us, right? You can never sit. The moment you sit as a company, I think you become irrelevant, right? So what we launch with is a fraction of our ambition, right? So it's, it's um, you know, the way we think about this at Alpine is like when we think about like what brings value to our clients, but always in the context of what brings value to our clients, not on a little scale, but on a large scale, and what can we help them with? We always need to be able to help the client with it. What are the crucial things that happen in your life that you need help with, right? It's like buying a house, 
That's a big decision that people make. And there's the potential to give people guidance on that from the start of the process to the end. Right. So typically banks, you know, they play a very a big role in that process, but it's it's limited to a you know a portion of the entire process, but can Alpian fill the entirety of that process of buying a house, not just providing the mortgage. And so this is the kind of thing that we want to help our clients with, right? Guide them with this stuff. And so yeah, product evolution, this is in the next six months, what you see in uh, two weeks, in the next six months, you'll see even more, right? And so yeah, next three months, the next two months, you'll see even more, right? Uh, we're constantly evolving the product. Then in terms of geographical expansion, again, it's you know, our first priority is Switzerland. Right, uh, it's something where I think too many companies, too many, too many banks, they try and go too far too quickly. Right, uh, they try and serve too many people too quickly, and I think that that works if your average balance is 800 franc or 800 euro or 800 pound or whatever. But if you really want somebody's trust, then you want to demonstrate real trust. You have to take it slowly. Right, trust is not built in a day. And if you try and build it in a day and you try and just go everywhere in the world and say, hey, everybody trust us, I don't think that that works. And it means that you're kind of, our model is service. And if you if you go everywhere all at once, you're giving up on the, the very value proposition that differentiates you. So we will expand when it is the right time. Uh, but the first priority is to make sure that we nail the service, we nail the products and services that we offer to our clients. Very clear. Okay, thank you. So that's the firm. What's Skylar doing for the next five to 10 years? Are you, are you going to be the CEO of this bank as it grows faster and faster and larger and larger? Is it, are you happy at the moment? Are you managing to get out and use those skis that are on the wall behind you ever? Or are you flat out in the office all day long? Yeah, I mean, again, coming from Morgan Stanley, it's what I know. Whether I'm on the ski slopes or not, I'm always thinking about Alpine. I'm not on the ski slopes, uh, but but if I were, I would be thinking about Alpine. I mean, again, in the next five to 10 years, you know, I see Alpine becoming not just another bank, but becoming an essential companion to its clients. Right? It's something where people look at it and it becomes a partner of theirs rather than just a place they put money, right? I think a lot of people today, they trust their bank that if they put their money there, it won't disappear. But the trust in the bank itself is probably not so high. And I want to change that equation so that people not only trust that their money won't disappear, but that they trust that the person at the bank is empowering them rather than some other kind of motive. And so, you know, I think this is a role that Alpine can play in the banking industry because banks are not bad places. You've got a lot of really great banks out there in the world and Alpine is supported by two phenomenal banks. But this kind of client centricity that I'm talking about, where you really are client-centric. Like I had somebody telling me that their bank tells them that they're client-centric. And I walked him through a series of questions. And at the end, he said, okay, my bank is not client-centric, it's bank-centric, right? And and you just have to ask yourself these questions. You realize that the banks can say they're client-centric, but they're really not. Alpine is. So in five to 10 years, you know, I don't, I believe I was put on this earth to drive this change, right? And and I'm going to be doing that as, as long as, uh, as long as I'm allowed to, so. Well, I hope you get out to ski as well. I will say that um, trust works both ways. I say, um, I'm currently the client of a Swiss private bank. I'm not sure I trust them. I'm not sure I trust them to provide advice that is entirely directed to me. And this is a one of the majors. This is one of the major independent private banks. So <clears throat> if you're able to do what you're saying you will do, if you're able to provide a level of service with useful advisory support, 
to individuals at that price level in a way that they haven't done it before, they haven't been able to access it before, I think that might be quite valuable. Interesting to see how it goes. If you were talking, thinking more broadly, you came to Switzerland, you have family, as you said, half Swiss, you have family who were here before. Your name, in fact, is uh, of its own is a Swiss name, um, although you sound American. Why did you choose Switzerland to start? Uh, you know, when, you, when you left the MBA, were you planning to stay in Switzerland? Was the goal to stay in Switzerland? Or did, was Europe in general part of it? Why stay in Switzerland? Because, the, because of the family history? I love Switzerland. It's a it's a great place, but I think it's a very unique place for me and for my family. So I I, I do a video call with my grandfather, who's 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 still alive today, and he's he's uh, alive and well. I do a video call with him every Sunday, and he's in the U.S. He's in the U.S. So he moved from Switzerland to to the U.S. And actually, the Swiss family is from Dayan, which is in Vaux. So it's just down the road next to Lausanne. It's a long, uh, long story. But um, when I do this video call with my grandfather who grew up in Geneva, he will tell me, you know, 70 years ago, I stood exactly where you stand today. And, you know, when you hear things like that, I mean, it, it really it sticks with you. Right. And, and you realize, you know, again, I, I am American and I, I love the U.S., but it's something you can't ignore. Right. It's you can't ignore where you come from. Right. And you, you can't change it. And I think the opportunity to help Swiss banking, especially Swiss private banking, stay at the pinnacle of the world. I mean, this is an opportunity that I'm very fortunate to have. I'm very fortunate to be in a place that my family has been for hundreds of years. You know, it's just a part of me. It's a part of me. So it feels very natural to be doing this. You were at the um, at IMD, I know, a few weeks ago, hiring or because you're in hiring stage, like everybody when they're growing, we're constantly hiring. How are you finding reaction amongst this year's MBAs to what you guys are doing? Yeah, they're super interested. Alpian was founded by IMD MBAs. And so when Alpian was created, first thing we did was go to IMD to hire MBAs. And many of the founders of Alpian are IMD MBAs. And I'm not even sure we'd be here today if we didn't bring them on board, right? These are some of the very exceptional people that we are able to bring on board, which then helped bring on other really exceptional people. And so we're committed to recruiting some of the best talents that we can find. And IMD has a lot of that talent. So if you expand beyond Switzerland, will you go into Europe or go into the UK? What, what will you do if, if, if you decide, when you decide to move beyond the boundaries of Canton Alvetica. When you go into strategy sessions and you talk about things like this, you know, the possibilities are endless, right? Uh, it's not every country in the world because ultimately, you know, if you're serving the affluent clientele, right, you need to have, you need to serve a country where there is a mass of affluent clientele and not every country in the world has that. But yeah, Europe, the, the discussions primarily center around Europe. But really, our focus is on Switzerland at the moment, right? But sure. again, the, the point is, is this dilemma of there only being two levels of banking in history, right? Your retail and your private bank and nothing for affluent people. This exists everywhere in the world, right? Everywhere. There's just nothing. And what technology has allowed is the introduction of this middle level of banking, right? Uh, which is for the affluent, affluent private banking, right? And so... This is something that, again, as the wealth generations progress, and as you start to get 
you know, your younger generations who are born with an iPhone in their hand, they will not want to go to a branch. You know, they will then naturally, whether they become a billionaire or they stay affluent, they will naturally want a digital native solution, right? And so you can see the progression of this in the future. Sure. I, I was thinking more about the difference between the complicated different Euro European regulatory environments and say the UK, where it's easier to to create a service in this area. There are other challenges with the UK post-Brexit, but in many ways, it's easier to start this sort of service there and offer it and provide it. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, for me, I'm curious to get what your view on the future of banking is, right? I mean, at Wired, not really about technology, but about technology's impact on the world and, and the future of the world. And how do you see banking evolving? So I, I do think that we have a single point of entry for a great many of the services. I think the services get layered depending on what people's needs are. But if the promise of machine learning gets to the point where it's able to provide a lot of the services off the back of a set of parameters, a set of investment decisions, a set of um, macroeconomic pictures that the bank provides, it may be possible to provide the service to everybody at some point to differing degrees. I know that I don't necessarily listen to what my private bank says. There are people who follow the, the set parameters that the bank issues. I, I get that every week. And then I have individuals within the bank who are specialists in one area. There was a guy who sadly left recently who was very strong on oil and gas. And I would, I would listen to him because he knew exactly what he was talking about in the space. So I don't respect firms. I respect individuals. So I don't know how that fits into the future of banking. I do think there's going to be a single point of access and you'll try and do everything through that. I have far too many apps on my phone for different banks and different services. That's tiresome. I'd like it to be simplified. So I, I expect there to be a merging of services in mobile and desktop form. Branch offices is a, a dumb way to manage service provision these days, but I think it's still nice to have at least the private banking level. Every now and then I want to go in because I'm doing something that's complicated and they can help me through that and there's a nice tea and there's someone to help. <laughs> but the future, yeah, the future is, is via mobile devices with as much as possible through fewer entry points. I have too many entry points. But I mean, you know, going off of that, I mean, my, my, my first thought is like, you know, you see tech players trying to go in on the banking space, right? Like you got Google and Apple, I mean, with each of their pay services now facilitating, trying to facilitate payments. I think that this is where it gets a little bit sticky because they are able to create some pretty incredible products, but does it really respect what it means to be a bank, right? I mean, ultimately what a bank does is it's a secure place for people to put their money, right? Secure, secure is the key word, right? And if you, if you don't follow the regulations and the provisions, I mean, regulations are just there to protect the client. That's all that they are, right? A lot of people talk about regulations being bad or whatever. They're just there to protect the client. And if you're not respecting those and your KPIs are to open as many accounts and do as many transactions, you could potentially cause real harm in the world, right? And so I, I don't know how I feel about technology companies, but maybe it's not about how I feel. Maybe they find a way to do it anyway. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. So they're certainly going to be entering the space, but just because you understand the technology that's disrupting a, a sector doesn't mean you understand or can build business models that are effective in the sector. If you look at what Amazon and the others did in the healthcare space, announced, what, 10 years ago now, and then shut down two years ago, just because you have a lot of money and a lot of technology doesn't mean you can enter comfortably a sector that has a whole series of incumbents that provide a level of service that's not necessarily just technology. I think the people who do it well are, are people like yourselves who are from the space, but also understand the technology. 
I think it's very important that you came out of IBM and the consulting space, even you know, technology consulting, because understanding the application of technology, understanding how it might have an impact is everything. It's not enough just to be a technology firm. In Apple's case, because they manage so much of so many people's lives, at least in terms of the digital interaction we have with things, I think they've probably got a shot at it, but we'll see. Um, I know there's stuff going on in Europe, which is interesting. I, I, I saw the acquisition of um, a company earlier this year in the UK that was based on credit ratings, individual credit ratings. And I thought that was an interesting move that Apple made because it's obviously going to be built into Apple Pay and the relationships that they manage. My question is, let's say you've got 500,000 in the bank, you trust to put it at Apple. Yeah, that is the question. So as I currently do it, uh, as I said, I have a whole series of apps on my machine. When I want to do a transaction um, that I can't do where my most of my money is, I will transfer it to a place where I can do it. Mm -hmm. And it's because I can't do it with them that I have to transfer it across. Does that mean I leave a lot of money there? No. Trust is important. And it's not just a question of will the money disappear. I'm one of those people that's concerned with the uh, debasement of currencies that happens all the time because of excess money printing by central banks. People think of it as inflation, think of prices going up. But what's really happened is the value of their money has gone down. If you look at the value of money in any of the major currencies, by the way, all of the minor ones, but almost all of the major ones, I mean, you look at the declining purchasing power in each of those areas. The issue isn't just banking. The issue is you can't trust your money. You need to be able to put it into assets that retain value because the money is not retaining value. Cash is not retaining value. So uh, I, think, I think trust is everything, but it's not just a bank. It's what currency do you leave it in and where? And should you have it all in assets because liquid assets are declining so quickly? That's a challenge for people like me these days. Yeah, and again, I mean, you know, I get the cryptocurrency question a lot, which, you know, is like, again, my, my stance on cryptocurrency is, I think it's still figuring out what its role is in the world. Is it a means of payment or is it an asset class? Because a lot of people have used it as uh, as a means of investment, but I don't think that was the original purpose of Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin was not created to be an investment. I think it was created to start a movement towards a new way of payment and, and, and exchange of, of money, right? Uh, a new way of taking the control out of the bank's hands and put it into, you know, this decentralized network that, you know, isn't controlled by banks. And so I think it's still figuring out its way. But I think, you know, what I've come to realize is that even if you hold crypto, you put it at a bank anyway, right? Because ultimately, people say crypto is more secure. But if I know your password, right, or if I know your private key, I'm getting your crypto, right? So you need to store your private key somewhere. And where are you going to store your private key in a secure place, right? People go to banks to do that. And so it's a very strange kind of concept how this all works. And I'm seeing here in Switzerland, especially that banks are getting a lot of crypto stored in their bank because the people don't know where to put it. You know, I've seen one guy put it in his hand, right? He actually implanted a chip in his hand with all of his wealth in crypto in his hand. He had it implanted in his hand. And he said, there are millions in his hand. I mean, what if, you know, what if his hand gets chopped off or something like that? So, you know, these are the kinds of things where banks still play a role. You go to a bank and then it's stored securely. So oh, now custody, custody is clearly an issue with crypto. And, and by the way, to be clear, just because I worry about the debasement of fiat currencies doesn't mean I automatically assume that crypto is the solution. I think Bitcoin is interesting because of the degree to which it's decentralized. No other currency, no other crypto asset is as decentralized. I worry about what's just happened with ETH because I think switching from proof of work to proof of stake actually reduces the security in the system. But then that may be good for using ETH as currency within the various DeFi applications that are out there. So it's no longer a, a secure asset. It's more a currency for exchanging and, and oiling, 
oiling a system. But yeah, as you as you say, we're we're a long way from working out where this goes. When I think of hard assets, I think of you know real estate, gold, stuff that goes up in value as currencies go down. And as is currently the case, where so much liquidity has been put into the system over the last twelve years. And you can see the trouble that um, central banks are having trying to remove that liquidity. I don't see how QT works given the current environment. Again, if you're an individual with capital, you think about putting it somewhere that's not going to decline at the rate that the currencies are. And that's not necessarily crypto. That's hard assets. No, I agree. I mean, crypto, it's uh, I think the natural economics surrounding crypto, you know, it's like you see some some forms of correlation, but I don't think that it's it's a hedge against a depreciating uh, franc or dollar or whatever. I think, uh, like you're saying, the hard asset is how you hedge against that. Yeah, I mean, there's still people within the crypto community, there's still a, a bunch of people who are convinced that Bitcoin is the one asset that's still safe there long term. But given its volatility, it's very hard to make that argument. At the moment, it's a speculative asset more than anything else. And it's interesting in that way. It's, a, it's an interesting speculative asset. And as I said, the decentralization, the, the clear use cases in developing markets in Venezuela and Iran and other places where the local currency is either controlled or, or high risk, that's where we've seen Bitcoin have value for people in, in places where their own currencies clearly don't have value. But in the West, the use case, the demand use case for it is less, less strong. Okay, we've reached our hour. Skyler, thank you very much for taking the time out. Very good of you at a very, very busy time. Exciting times. I guess there'll be hiccups along the way. There always are in these things, but um, I, I think it's very exciting what you're doing. I think it's great that you're offering a level of service that people can't get now. I look forward to seeing how it actually pans out. I presume I will apply and it'll be another app on my phone I can try out for a while to see if it works. Uh, I look forward to doing that. Um, I use it as my everyday bank and it's, it's uh, I, I mean, I absolutely love it. So, you know, I know I'm biased, but I truly do. As unbiased as I can be, I could say it's just an incredible experience. So I, I love it. Great. So thank you, everybody, for watching. This was the Founder Series chat with Skylar Weiss, the CEO of Alpion. I'm Ian Stewart at IMD in Lausanne in Switzerland. And we will be back with you sometime soon uh, with another interview. Bye for now.